Well, amen. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn it to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. It is good to be here. I love James Runnels, and I love his family, and I am thankful for his invitation. I think that we have had a great relationship together. And, but then after I got here and I realized who I'm preaching in between, I think he set me up. Uh, I think only a fool would preach between Rod Masteller and Fred Lowry and Dr. Jim Richards. But I'm here today, and we're going to do that. But uh, I am thankful, though, that I am just a messenger, and, uh, and the Lord will speak today. Um, I bring you greetings from, uh, from the Caribbean. Um, got home Friday night about midnight uh, and, and uh, woke up and got my eyes awake yesterday morning, and we headed this way uh, from Mississippi. And so I bring you greetings from the sugarcane villages um, and from the inner city. Uh, the capital city from your brothers and sisters who are there in the Dominican Republic. Had a great week uh, leading a team from Tuscaloosa County, and we were able to see the Lord work. And, and so um, I would ask you to continue. Would you please pray for, for those folks that are there and the work that God's doing there and really all over the world. Revelation chapter 1, if you have a Bible, or if not, I think we have it on the screen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. I want to read as a context for our scripture today, for our message today. Would you stand? Let's read from God's word today. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus, who was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze, and as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, Father, we thank you for your church. But most importantly, we thank you for a church that is led by a Savior, by a risen Savior, by the Lord Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at this text today, that you would encourage us, you would convict us, and you would help us to see who it is that we serve and what it is that you've called us to be and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What time do I need to... <laughs> okay. This was uh, three messages, and I want to try to... If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. And uh, we're going to try to work our way through. But, I, I, you know, everyone loves the book of Revelation. It tends to, for some people, uh, energize us. It tends to invoke our curiosity. For some of us, we kind of shy away from it. We might want to think, wait a second, I can't digest 
all of that stuff that's there. But I just wanted today to just give you an understanding of the book of Revelation of this text that we're reading in, in maybe a different way. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in all the details of the book and, and we, we think about what this means, pre-mill, pre-millennial, post-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, and all those sorts of things, and we miss what John was trying to say. And we overanalyze things, but I, I think that we need to just pay attention today and, th- and think about our present. It's not just about the future. It's about now. It's written to churches. It's written to uh, groups of people that were gathered just like you and me. And so if we're not careful, we'll try to satisfy our curiosity about the future and miss what John is trying to say. This is a passage that provides perhaps the most majestic picture of Jesus Christ that's given in all the Bible. And I think as we observe this, I think that My prayer today is that if you're weak, that you will be strengthened. If you're sorrowful, you will find comfort. If you're confused, you will find clarity. If you're weary, you will find hope. If you're struggling in your daily walk, you will be encouraged. And for our church family, and the reason I shared this with my church family is I left them a few weeks ago and resigned and stepped away from, uh, from a wonderful ministry This is to a church that needs to know who's on the throne, that needs to know what direction that we're headed in. So let me just give you a a brief overview real quickly. Number one, uh, John tells us that we are a family of brothers and sisters. He says, if you have your Bible open, if you'll keep it open in verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother, we are a family of brothers and sisters. That's the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that you and I are family a family of brothers and sisters. I, I spent the week with some dear friends and, that I have made over the past four years in the Dominican Republic. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't dress like me. But they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know it. And so when you come and you're a part of a church family, you come and you join a group of people who become your brothers and sisters in Christ John is saying, listen, I am your brother in this. We are a family together in this. And so if you're here today and you're a member of this great congregation, if you're here today and you're, you're visiting uh, uh, this, this congregation, we want you to know that, that a church family is a family. You're a, you, you are a part of a family. You're a family that spans generations. You're a family that spans ages. We're family together. Jesus talked about in Mark 10, says, No, it's no one who's left houses or brothers or sister or mother or father for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. They'll receive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. In other words, when you come to Christ, you're coming to a family of brothers and sisters and mothers who are united under a father that cares for us. So we're a family of brothers and sisters. Secondly, he says that we are an army engaged in a battle. The... Next part of verse 9, it says, I am your partner, I am your brother in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We are an army engaged in a battle. And he lists three things that he partners with them in this battle. Number one, we share in the sufferings of Christ. This letter was written to seven churches who were suffering tremendous, tremendous persecution. 
Their families had been taken from them. Their families had been murdered in front of them. Their, their homes had been taken away. For most of them, they were on the run. They had lost their jobs. They had lost some of them, their families. They had lost their careers. They had lost it all. And they were suffering greatly, greatly at the hands of the Romans. And John says, we're in the middle of this tribulation, in the middle of this affliction, in the middle of this suffering. And he says, I am your partner in suffering with you. Let me say something about suffering in the Christian life. Let me share this with you. When the Bible talks about suffering, this is not the suffering that we experience sometimes when we disobey Jesus. You ever found yourself there? You knew that you didn't need to step that direction away from what God told you to do, and the next thing you knew, you're suffering the consequences of it. That happens to every Christian. But this is not what John is talking about. These are the, 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 the suffering that comes from walking in obedience to God. You know that that's what the Bible tells us over and over and over. And Jesus would send his disciples out and he would say, listen, if you're going to come after me, you're going to face difficulties, you're going to face trials, and you're going to face hardship in your life. And so John is talking about suffering that comes as we walk in obedience to God. Folks, let me just share something with you, contrary to what you see on television. We don't follow a health and wealth Savior. We don't follow a Savior that's promised that your life will be healthy and wealthy and free from trouble and free from pain. We don't follow some life. As a matter of fact, we follow a homeless and wounded Savior. Who says, when you follow me, I will send you out like sheep among wolves. People will hate you because of me. They will flog you. They will persecute you. And Jesus says that if you follow me, it would involve picking up a cross. That's just part of following after Jesus. And John says, listen, brothers and sisters, I am your partner in this. Don't have time to look at all the the scriptures that relate to our sufferings that we experience when we follow Christ, it doesn't sell very well on the television. Contrary to popular opinion in the book that he wrote, this is not your best life now. And I'm thankful for that. Right? And so why do we suffer? Why do Christians suffer? And I'm sure as, as, as these churches were reading this letter, they were thinking, well, you know, yeah, but this isn't very fun. What is the purpose of this? What is the, why are we walking through this difficult time? Why are we suffering? Our family members have been in prison and beaten to death, and they've been beheaded, and they've been crucified. What's going on? And, 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 and so John addressed that. Why do we suffer? We share in the sufferings of Christ as we portray Him. As we portray Him. I want to remind you that the kingdom came on this earth. In Jesus' life, He brought the kingdom of God to this earth. It came in the form of a suffering Savior. He came and He suffered greatly. He came and He endured even the curse of the cross. That's Jesus. He's a suffering Savior. And that kingdom that He brought will advance in the lives of suffering saints. The kingdom advances through the lives of suffering saints. So Jesus has given the pattern in which we follow. 
And he's ordained for his kingdom to advance. How so? As his people walk through this life and we suffer. Now look, I'm not some sadomasochistic guy who says, well, bring it on, let's suffer together. But let's just be real honest with you, with, a, with the, the truth of the matter. Every single human being on this planet goes through trials and difficulties. The question is, how do you walk through it? The question is, are you going to walk through it with Christ or without Christ? And if you're walking with Christ, you advance the kingdom of God as we experience these difficulties in life. So that... What, what does this mean, that I am advancing the kingdom of God? So that when people begin to see me, and they begin to see Christ working in me, as I walk through those things in my life, you know what they begin to see? You know what they say, or what I begin to portray, is that the wealth of this world is not important as the Savior of my life. That my, even my own health is not important as the Savior of my life. And if I lose, lose my loved ones... You know what? Christ has conquered death. And so as I walk through the trials and the difficulties of life, and people see that, and as I portray him in that, the kingdom of God is advancing. And they see us say that Jesus is better than all that this world can offer put together. And so as I portray him, and as I proclaim him, John says there in Revelation 1.9, he says, I am here on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John preached God's word and, and proclaimed the testimony of Jesus. And as a result, he found himself on this island. Most scholars believe he was around, he was well advanced in age. And also that this, he wasn't just on this island writing a letter. He was on this island most likely digging rocks. It was a rock quarry, and they, were, they, were, they, were, they worked all day long. And so he's there. There's a price to be paid for proclaiming the name of Jesus. I understand that that price is not as high here in, in East Texas or in Mississippi where I live. The price for proclaiming the name of Jesus is not as high as it is in, in Southeast Asia or, or in Africa. I understand that. But there is a price to be paid for proclaiming the name of Jesus You'll be attacked by Satan. Some will be slain. Some will be beheaded. Some will be exiled. And, and John says, listen, it won't be easy. But don't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Don't stop. Proclaim Christ. We share in the sufferings of Christ. We participate, secondly, in the reign of Christ. We participate in the reign of Christ Jesus, John says, I am your partner in the tribulation. And then he says, and the kingdom. And the kingdom. So you and I, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are participating in the reign of Christ. We are a part of his kingdom. We're not just people who are under Christ's rule, but we are also ruling and reigning with him. Don't have time to stop there and dwell there. Let's, let's move on. How do we participate in the reign of Christ? We have confidence in the middle of suffering. I've just talked about that. We have confidence in the middle of suffering. We know that Romans 8, 28 says, hey, God's working all things together. How? For my good and His glory. 
He's working it all out. I don't understand it sometimes. I don't have to always like it. But I can tell you this, God's working it out for, for my good and for his glory. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. And if Christ takes me home and he takes my life away today, to die is gain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says this light and momentary affliction, is, it's working something, right? It's working something. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so we participate in the reign of Christ as we have confidence in the middle of our suffering. I don't have to walk through life defeated. I don't have to walk through life beaten down. Even though the difficult circumstances may come, I can understand that God is working through it. And God is working it out. And so I have confidence in the middle of suffering. I I experience victory over sin. As a follower of Christ... Ruling and reigning with Christ, I can experience victory over sin. It doesn't have to enslave me. It doesn't have to hold me. And then also I lead others to salvation. And so as I'm proclaiming this, sometimes God allows me to see others come to know Him. And I lead others to salvation. And then quickly, number three, I share in the sufferings of Christ. I I participate in the reign of Christ, but I endure in the power of Christ. So here's the deal. How do I walk? How do I keep walking? How do I keep going? This isn't a very pleasant picture you've painted. And it is difficult. So how do I endure? Well, John now transitions to this indescribable Christ. The picture of this indescribable Christ. Who gives us the hope to endure. Um, We endure in the power of the indescribable Christ. In verse 11, God tells John to write the things that you see. You know, it would almost be like going to the Grand Canyon for the first time or going to Niagara Falls for the first time and having a a business card and taking the back of the business card and someone saying, hey, write down everything you see. (laughs) You're you're not going to get it all on there, right? It's just not, you're not going to be able to digest and record everything that you're about to see. But John does his best. And and he gives us this explanation of Jesus that is the most majestic in all of Scripture. When I pastored the church that I pastored for the last 11 and a half years, the guys in the back that did the the PowerPoint, they would look ahead (laughs) and see how many slides I had. If you knew how many slides I had, you'd faint dead away. But, But hold on. Let me give you a quick description of how John describes him. First of all, he's a man. He describes him as a man, one like the Son of Man, verse 13. Can you imagine John's perspective here? He had walked with Jesus. He had talked with Jesus. He had lived with Jesus for three years on this earth every day. And the last image that he had of Christ was being crucified and beaten. Of course, he had seen him ascend. But never did he expect to see him in this form again. And now he turns and sees him, not in earthly humiliation as he had seen him on this earth. Now he is robed in heavenly exaltation. He is a man. He is God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Then in verse 17 of chapter 1 and verse 8 and 1 and verse 17, we see that repeated again, the Alpha and the Omega. These are descriptions of God. So not just is he man, but he is God. He is thirdly the fulfillment of prophecy. 
He is the fulfillment of prophecy, specifically prophecies from Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10, which every Jew knew and every Jew understood that this Jesus, not only would he come, but he would rule and he would reign forever. And so John sees him as that fulfillment of prophecy. He is the final high priest. In verse 13, he is described as having a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Five out of six times that the word long robe in that description is used in the Old Testament. It's used to describe the high priest. The high priest who would make, once a year, would go in and make offering and make atonement for the people. And Jesus Christ, once and for all, had gone into the Holy of Holies and made a perfect sacrifice for all time so that never again do we have to sacrifice anything else for our sins. His sacrifice paid the way. He is the final high priest. He is infinitely old, verse 14. The hairs of his head are white, like white wool and like snow. The problem with not seeing each other for 15 or 20 years, things turn white, right? And so our hair turns white, and so we're infinitely old. One of our uh, friends that we've met in the Dominican Republic is an Italian guy. There are a lot of Italians. I'm talking straight from Italy. And they came and lived there on the island. And, and one of these guys named is Stefano, and he, uh, he, he has a, a pizza, he has a restaurant across the street from where we have stayed in a hotel. And four years ago when I met him, he said, you need to eat here. I have the greatest pizza in the world. Yep, he does. <laughs> and I've had, a lot of, I've had a lot of them, these brick oven pizzas, man. Oh. And so he's 60-ish. And... Um, he had this beautifully uh, honey-colored hair, you know. Well, I go this year, and I get off the bus, and he sees me, and it is as white as snow. I guess he decided, all right, I'm tired of doing that. All right, that gray hair just came through, white hair. It, it, he, it, it, it is not just that you're old, but it also means that you're wise. He is infinitely old, and Daniel described him in Daniel 7 as the Ancient of Days, but he's infinitely wise. By the way, when you talk about him being infinitely old, he's existed forever. He had no beginning. He had no beginning, but he's infinitely wise. He has knowledge of all things. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Nothing escapes his gaze. You're here today, that should make you think. He knows everything about us. For some of us, that's scary. But let me tell you this, on the other side of that, praise God. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows what I'm walking through today. He knows where I'm going today. He knows the struggles that I'm facing today. Praise God, He knows everything about us, and He sees everything we'd like to hide. Hmm. He knows everything about us, He sees everything we'd like to hide. Nothing escapes Him. Christian, nothing escapes Him. He knows you. You can fool everybody in this room, you can't fool God. He is holy above all things, John would say. He is holy above all things. His feet are like burnished bronze. They're a picture of glowing purity and power. His purity, two things about his purity. Number one, they have, it has no error. There is nothing in Jesus, there is nothing about him that is imperfect. But not only does his, his purity have no error, but secondly, his power has no equal. 
And so I think sometimes we, we try to, in our own words, explain what it means for God, Jesus to be holy and God to be holy. We sang about it wonderfully a while ago. Listen, it's not that God inches out everybody else. It's that God is in a totally different category than anybody else. He didn't just barely beat out Muhammad or barely beat out Buddha. He is in a totally different world and a totally different category. He is above all things, this Jesus. His voice resounds with authority. I've seen it described as like a trumpet, but and now it's like a roar of many waters. I love that imagery. What does he do? Very quickly, he declares salvation for his people. But he also decrees final judgment. So out of his mouth comes salvation to all who will come. But for those who refuse, there is final judgment. Whosoever will may come, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Christ and he is Lord. He decrees final judgment, and so you, you must choose. His face radiates with light very quickly, verse 16. Verse 17, he had the first word in creation. He says, fear not, I am the first. He had the first word in creation. By the way, did you know that Jesus was active and busy in creation? Colossians 1 tells us that his job was to create. He created. I love these next two. He was dead for a time. Verse 18 of of Revelation 1, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He was dead for a time, but he is alive now for all time. He, is dead. he was dead for a time, but he is alive for all time. Hmm. A couple more. Death is controlled by Jesus. He, had, he has the keys of death and, and Hades. He has authority over death. He speaks and death listens. Satan, by the way, Satan doesn't determine when you and I live or die. God has authority over death. and He's given that authority to Jesus. And no one or nothing compares to Jesus. No one or nothing compares to Jesus. And so as we breeze through these things, I just want you to try to get this image of this indescribable Christ. And let's go back to, how do I endure? How do I walk through? How do I get through life as the follower of this Christ? I see this Christ. And I see who He is. And I see that he is on his throne. This indescribable Christ. And that leads us to his indestructible church. His indestructible church. Folks, as long as Christ is in the middle of his church, then nothing, no matter how fierce, no matter how strong, can destroy his people. So what does that mean for you and for me? A few things. Number one, Jesus is standing among us. Jesus is present among us. He's not distant. We do not serve a God that's in a grave. We do not serve a leader who is fragile or fading away. He is standing among us. As we gather here today, He's standing among us. Next, He possesses us. He's holding us in His hand. That beautiful imagery of the, of the lampstands and the angels. They're all held in the hand 
of Jesus. And His strength is strong. A few years ago when I moved back to Mississippi, my father-in-law had me do a project with him that involved nailing down these hardwood floors. And we, we used this hammer guy. And, and I don't know why he didn't have a gun, but we used this hammer. And I, I hammered and I hammered. And, I, and from that point on, I even and I, something happened this week to it. I, I have this, my ulnar nerve is trapped. And so I'm, I lose strength. And I mow yards commercially, and sometimes I'm mowing along, and I'm just kind of waving my arm to kind of get it awake. And, 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 and I've noticed that as I'm aging, I'm losing strength in my, in my hands. Listen, Christ has not lost any strength. He holds us. He is present among us. He possesses us. And He has a purpose for us. You know what our purpose is? To glorify God and make disciples of all nations, period. That's his purpose. That's his purpose for this church. That's his purpose for your life. And he is moving history. And he is moving your life in that direction. So, how do we respond? Let me just give you three, two things. Number one, we fall down in worship. We fall down in worship. You do not have this image of Christ and this understanding of who He is without worshiping Him. Non-Christian, if you're here today, I would have much fear. For you will face this Christ someday. It's appointed for every man to die and after that, Judgment. You will face this Christ. And if you're here today and you do not know this Christ, this majestic Christ, you will face Him. I would have much fear. It could be today. It could be today. He could return today, or you could go into eternity today, and you will face Him. I would have much fear. Christians, we should have no fear. I don't know, that's God. No. He's on His throne. He's ruling and He's reigning. He controls us. He possesses us. He's got us. You be obedient. Have no fear. So we should fall down in worship and we should rise up as witnesses. Do you share this truth? Do you share this glorious Christ? Some prayer I have for for my life and for your life. Number one, may His glory continually captivate our imagination. Can you just dwell on that? What a great, powerful God we serve. We were uh, this week doing a little leadership training with a, a church in the middle of a sugarcane field. I'm talking a church, a, 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 a community that had maybe two roads, one main road. And they had about 35 people who came to church. But the pastor had invited the leaders of their church who, were, who had exhibited some leadership and exhibited some love for the, for the Scriptures to come. And 14 of them showed up. 
And so we had some pastors with us, and they were sharing some things to help them in their walk and their growth. And, and then we took a break in between a couple of sessions, and, and they, they started singing in, uh, in, in their language. Sometimes it was Spanish, and sometimes it was French Creole, and sometimes they went back and forth between the two, and they blended them. And because most of these were Haitian people that are living in the Dominican Republic, and, and they, they sang How Great Thou Art. And you don't have to speak Spanish or Creole to sense the presence of God. And I sat there and I wept as they sang in their language that God's glory would captivate our minds. This incredible Christ that we serve. Secondly, His grace would supernaturally empower our devotion. So when we're bombarded by sin, when we're bombarded by the pressures of this world, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, draw me closer to Him as I walk with Him and as I serve Him. Lastly, may His gospel radically compel us on mission. Doesn't do anything to know all this stuff and not live it. Are you living on mission with God? Hey, you know, I have learned that anyone who has a desire for missions seems to be in some of our churches, ooh, you need to go to the mission field. No, we're all on mission. We all need to be about sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. One of the pastors this week was sharing with this little group of believers. And he said, if I had the cure for cancer, and if I had the gospel, which would be more important than I share? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you on mission sharing that? Do you understand, folks, what God is doing? And I'm learning this, I've learned this the hard way. My wife's not from here, okay? She's from another country, another continent, okay? And, 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 and I've begun to learn this as a result of that and God doing some other things in my life. Do you understand what God's doing? He is about the business of bringing all of creation to a place where we gather around the throne in Revelation chapter 7. Men of every tongue and every tribe and every people and every nation gather together worshiping the Lamb of God. And He's going to bring that about. It will happen. Are you a part of it? That's what He's called us to do. Very quickly, and I will conclude. Do you know why the book of Revelation was written? I've touched on it a little bit. When John wrote this book, every single disciple, apostle of Jesus was dead. But him. And it would not be long after that that he would be dead. They had all died. They had all gone. And all of these people that we talked about in these churches, suffering greatly, suffering greatly, suffering greatly. They have lost their fathers. They had lost their mothers. They had lost their brothers. They had lost their sisters. They had nothing left. 
Why did John write the book of Revelation? Not to tell us, not to tell us that Jesus would come back a thousand years after this, or a thousand years before this, or this, or this, or this, or this. You know what he said? You know why John wrote this book? Listen, God wins in the end beyond his team. Period. And it's worth it to follow him. It's worth it. Christian, it's worth it. Press on. And keep your eyes on the indescribable Savior that we have. Crossroads Church, it's worth it. And you may not know who your next leader is. You may not know what direction you may be in. He holds you in His hands. And it's worth it. So, Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for an indescribable Christ. Who holds us. Who gives us mission. Father, if there's here someone here today that does not know you, I pray that they would fear you and understand that judgment is coming. For your people, Father, may we not live in fear. May we live in victory. May we live in in confidence knowing that you are on your throne. In Jesus' name. Brother James is going to lead us. Someone be here at the front if you need to come and give your heart to Christ. Maybe be a part of a church family. I encourage you to do that.